you haven't yet had a chance to uh, be in the prayer room, I encourage you to do that. We have a couple more weeks left, and uh, there are so many, so many things that are there to help us as we pray. As you can see, just a few of those in the in the video. That um, I think one of the things that that makes me has, has helped me through this prayer vigil, the series of these over the last eight years, is that it has expanded my my view of what prayer is. I think growing up, it was it was a it was a very narrow view of what it meant to pray, and. As we've gone through these prayer vigils and, and as we've thought about it and as we've explored it, it, it has helped me to understand that there are many, many ways to engage God in prayer. Sometimes it's sitting in a chair and listening, speaking to God, and there's a lot of silence. Sometimes there's more energy, and sometimes there's, there's more activity, I should say, rather than energy, but more activity. And sometimes... Uh, God is able to speak into my heart through interactive things, some of the things you saw in the video. But what I've come to understand is that prayer is so much bigger, so much wider and deeper and larger than what I have typically understood it to be. And that is what comes to my mind as, as I read once again the passage in Genesis 32 that we read a few moments ago. This is a story about Jacob. Jacob is, is, finds himself on the, brook, on the banks of the Jabbok River at night, frightened, weary, anxious, because tomorrow he's going to be meeting his brother Esau. This 20 years ago, Jacob deceived his brother, deceived his father, stole his brother's inheritance, And when threatened by his brother, he ran. And for 20 years, he's been living with his uncle and working with his uncle and and gaining all kinds of stuff. And now he's come back home and he isn't sure what his brother's going to do. Is his brother going to accept him? Is his brother going to, is he going to keep the threats that he's made against him? And he's worried. And here by himself, in his worry and his fear and his uncertainty, as he is, I'm sure, crying out to God, the strangest things happens. He gets involved in a wrestling match. Now, I've been thinking a lot about wrestling. I, I'm not a wrestler. I did a little bit of wrestling in junior high gym class because we all had to do it. You know, you went through these various parts of gym class. But I, it's not really something that I have engaged in a lot. But I've been thinking a lot about wrestling, and I think wrestling is probably the most intimate sport of any sports that we encounter. I mean, you know, there, there's no ball involved in wrestling. There's no goal. There's no basket. There are no goal posts. It's just two guys on a mat, each other. And, and it is all about engaging one another in body-to-body action. And, and as opposed to most every other sport... This sport rewards that action. It rewards being together, engaged in one another, grasping, clutching, pulling, pushing, hugging. I mean, it is is just body to body, the whole thing. And in fact, in most sports, the object is to avoid your opponent. If you're playing football and you have the ball in your arm and you're running with the ball, you don't run towards your opponent. You run away from your opponent. 
In basketball, you're trying to fake out your opponent so you can drive around them to get to the basket. And, you know, all of what we do in sports is intended to avoid our opponent except for wrestling. And, in fact, in wrestling, if you avoid your opponent, you get penalized for that. It's called stalling. And and when they're lined up like this to begin a a, a round, if if when the whistle blows, you take two steps back, you get warned for that. You get penalized for backing away from your opponent because the whole point of wrestling, in fact, you'll see the referee say, do this, because that's the whole point of the match. The other thing about wrestling that intrigues me, and this is true of other sports as well, but wrestling is, is concerned with fairness. They have weight classes. They don't make a, they don't make a 225-pound senior wrestle a 100-pound freshman. They, they have, in New York State, they have high school wrestling has 15 different weight classes. And they do that so that there is, there is some semblance of fairness about strength and power and weight And when I think about that, and I think about Genesis 32, you could not find a more imbalanced wrestling match in all the history of the world than God versus Jacob. I mean, that makes David and Goliath look like a pretty even matchup. God of the universe, the Almighty One, the creator of all things, in a wrestling match with pitiful little Jacob... Or pitiful little you and me, let's be honest. All God needs to do is put the tip of his pinky finger, if we can speak anthropometrically here a second, if morthly, put a tip of his pinky finger on Jacob's chest and he pins him in a second. And yet, this wrestling match goes on all night. There is something about this wrestling match that makes me think of prayer. Wrestling with God. Now, part of it is because we read in Colossians chapter 4. I didn't just pick that passage so that Goody would have a whole lot of names to have to stumble over as she was reading through it. In fact, when I sent the passage to Amanda, I said, here, send this to the worship leader with my apologies for having to do all of that. And did a great job with it. But it's that 12th verse where Paul says, Epaphras is wrestling with you in prayer. There is something about wrestling with God in prayer That is important, an important part of what it means to pray. And what is interesting in this story is that Jacob doesn't initiate this, God does. Jacob doesn't look over, see this man and say, I'm going to wrestle you and attack him. Jacob's there, sort of minding his own business, and the man sees him and attacks Jacob. And and. You know, in our Bibles, often the heading, you have headings, paragraph headings, story headings. And in my Bible, I would assume yours does as well. It says, Jacob wrestles God. I think that's backwards. I think it ought to be God wrestles Jacob. Because God initiates this. And there is something about prayer that maybe we have it backwards. When I think of prayer, I think of, I'm coming to God. I'm initiating time with God. I am, I am... Coming to where God is, maybe prayer is everything. Maybe God initiates all of prayer. Maybe, maybe God is the one who starts all of it. Maybe prayer is about God coming to us and inviting us to be with him, to wrestle with him. When you get to the end of this story, uh, Jacob 
walks away from this blessed. And you see here that, that Jacob is, is, is saying to God, he says to God, I want you to bless me. And God says, you know, he says, let go of me. And he says, no, I'm going to hang on until you bless me. And it's odd because you would, Jacob looks like from outside, Jacob is already quite blessed. He leaves, he leaves his home with nothing but the clothes on his back. And when he comes home 20 years later, he's got wives and children. He's got so much, so many flocks, cattle and goats and sheep and donkeys that he can give his brother hundreds of them and really not miss them all that much. He looks blessed to me. But there is something in Jacob that realizes he isn't, life isn't what he wants it to be. Yes, he has all these possessions, and yes, he's been blessed with all these things, and even blessed with, an, with a large family, but something inside of him isn't quite right. And that's why God asks him, in response to bless me, God says, what's your name? Jacob means to grasp the heel, which is a, it's simply describing what it looked like when Jacob came out of the womb right after his brother Esau. He, was, he had his arm up and it looked like he was grasping at him. But that name figuratively means to, de- to be a deceiver, a schemer, a manipulator. And Jacob has lived up to his name. And you could say everything he has is because of his deceptiveness, because of his manipulation, because of his scheming. And, and, and he's done well with it. But you come to a point in life, especially in the crises of life like he's encountering, and you realize everything I've done and everything I've accomplished is not enough. It's just not enough. There is something deeper in the yearning of our souls that possessions and all the great gifts and things that we, that we get in this world and accomplishments something deep in our souls realizes it's not quite enough. Jacob is still crying out to be blessed. And so God says, what's your name? And I think he asked him that question because before we can ever experience that, that depth of life with God, about what, before we can experience and understand all that God has created us to be, we have to admit, acknowledge who we are in the moment. Jacob has to say, this is who I am. I I have lived my life manipulating, scheming, deceiving. And God says, that's good. I'm glad you're willing to admit that. Because now we can do something about it. And he says, you'll no longer be called Jacob. You will be Israel. Now, you know, Israel means to wrestle with God. That's a great thing to wrestle with God. But it doesn't really sound like he's being blessed. I mean, it seems to me that wrestling with God means that, I mean, it seems to me if you're going to be blessed, it ought to be something like Abraham, the father of many nations. We're going to be able to see this tangibly. And God says, no, this great blessing you're going to get is that you have wrestled and you've won. You've gotten what you wanted. You're going to find that blessing. Why? Because you've wrestled with God. There is something about wrestling with God in prayer that helps us to see God for who he is. And when we see God for who he is, he begins to reveal who we are. 
And in that revelation, we begin to see what God wants for us and what we can be in him. But it comes with that wrestling. Wrestling with God is a gift. Wrestling with God is is coming to the place where, where we are honest with God. We're willing to struggle with God. We're willing to say, Lord, I don't understand this. I don't like this. I don't want this. I want you to do something else. And we are completely honest with God. And I'm convinced that that's the kind of prayer that God wants from us. It's wonderful to trust God. And hopefully we, we are getting to the point where we're trusting God. And that prayer of relinquishment, as it's often called, is, is awesome. And if we can just come to the place of that, then that's terrific. But most of us don't arrive at that out of nothing and from nowhere. It's a journey. And often the prayer of tr- that we call the prayer of relinquishment or the prayer of trust is really a matter of us simply giving up. Saying, I don't want to mess with this. I don't want to be honest with God because, quite frankly, when you engage God in a wrestling match, you get blessed, but you also get hurt. You can get injured wrestling with God, just like Jacob. And when we come to God in honesty, when we come to God and we admit that who we are and, and we let God speak into our lives, he is going to put his finger on stuff in our lives that is harming us and holding us back. Those ways, that those coping mechanisms we have, our attitudes, our priorities, our motivations, all ways in which we have surrounded ourselves with protection, all the ways in which we accomplish the things that we want to get, all the ways in which we grasp stuff in this world, all the ways in which we keep ourselves safe, we're honest with God, we're wrestling with God, at some point he's going to put his finger on those things and it hurts. Because he's touching stuff that we don't want him to touch. But the only way we can get from where we are to where God wants us to be is to let God work in those things. And that means being honest with God. Acknowledging those things Admitting to those things when he, when he puts his finger on them. And that takes time. It doesn't usually happen in a moment. Jacob wrestles all night with God. It's one of the reasons why in the prayer vigil we talk, we, we want people to, to reserve hours at a time, an hour at a time. And that seems like a lot. It seems like a long time. Though most of us who experience that seem like it goes awfully quickly. But it takes time to settle ourselves. It takes time to to get ourselves in a place where we can hear God. It takes time to sort of get rid of some of the distractions. And it takes time to wrestle with God. To really be honest with Him. And and to, to say what we're thinking anyway. And to let God take those honest, our honest prayers and work in them. And teach us and reveal Himself to us. And reveal the truth about us. But that can be painful. And often we kind of like to just give up. I'm amazed that Jacob keeps on wrestling despite the fact that he's injured. 
I think for me, I'd roll over in agony and say, I give up. I quit. I don't want to do this anymore. This is too hard. It's too painful. But not Jacob. He is desperate. And I think sometimes we pray like that. We give up way too soon. We roll over and say, God, I don't want to do this anymore. This is too hard. You're asking too much of me. I can't forgive that person. I don't want to deal with that issue. I don't want to get into that. I know that it will lead me to knowing you in deeper ways and experiencing you in deeper ways. But quite frankly, the pain's not worth it. So I quit. I think we do that because we think wrestling in prayer is about winning more than anything. But the scriptures keep telling us that wrestling with God in prayer is about knowing God. I was talking with a wrestling coach this week and he's telling me that it wasn't that many years ago that it was pretty easy to fill up both a JV and a varsity roster with wrestlers. But now he has a hard time even filling up his varsity roster with wrestlers. And as he talks with, with some of the, the guys in the school, even people who have wrestled for him before, what tends to be the reason for not wrestling, either to begin it or to continue it, is because you lose too often. And don't want to lose. And he said to me, you know, wrestling is one of those sports that you learn by losing. You, you, that's just one of the primary ways you learn how to wrestle is you, you lose. And as you, as you start out in the younger ages, you lose a lot. And hopefully as you get older, you, you win a little bit more than you lose. But unless you're a top-tier wrestler, then you're going to lose a fair amount. It's just the way it is. And he said a lot of the guys he talks to have simply decided they don't want to risk losing. So they don't compete. And as soon as he said that, I thought, I think that's sometimes how we pray. I don't want to pray risky prayers. What if God doesn't do what I ask? I don't want to stick out my neck in prayer. What if God doesn't do what, he, what, what I want him to do? I don't want to be bold in my prayers. What if it doesn't turn out the way I think it, would, it should? I'm going to look like a fool. I'm going to be humiliated. But God never talks to us about that. He simply says, I want you to pray bold, risky, trusting prayers. I want you to stick out your neck. I want you to wrestle with me. Because it's not about winning. It's not about getting what we want. It's not about God doing what we want him to do. It's about building a relationship with God, an intimacy with God that leads us to understand who he is more and more. And understanding who he is, we trust him even more. And we keep praying bold prayers. I've, I've read many biographies through the years. And it struck me one day that the people who wrestle with God in prayer are the people who pray bold prayers. And I've discovered that the people who stick out their necks in prayer, the people who are risk takers in prayer are the people who have spent their lives wrestling with God and out of that wrestling have come to know God in a deeper way than I could ever imagine. And I'm astounded at the kinds of prayers they pray. And then I realize it's because they have spent their life engaged in prayer with God. And they've learned some things about God that you can only learn in a wrestling match with God. And often I haven't been willing to get into that kind of match with God. 
They've learned who God is because they've let God put his finger on things in their lives. And it's changed them and transformed them and it's made them new people. But it comes with being willing to engage with God. Wrestle with him. And not worry about winning or losing. Just being willing to get into the match. To get into the battle. To get into the struggle. Get down in the mud with God, so to speak. And to let God show us who he is. One of the most astounding verses in this whole story is verse 25. I want to, when I read this, I think that has to be some kind of scribal error. Somewhere along the line, the pronouns got switched. But in verse 25, it talks about how this man wrestling Jacob realized he would not win the match. And I read that and I think, are you kidding me? This, this is God wrestling with Jacob. And he says, I can't win the match. Something of that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem like the God, uh, the creator God, almighty God, Yahweh. This doesn't seem like that kind of God. And yet this is what the scriptures tell us. I think there is something of the humility of God that we see in this verse. When our boys were little, we would wrestle around, as you know, a lot of parents do with their children. We'd wrestle around, and you know, when they were five or six, I could usually pin them most of the time. Uh, Most of the time. But, you know, as they got older, that changed. But when they were little, we would wrestle, and I mean, I could pin them every time, but I didn't. I let them win most of the time. And I wasn't mad when they danced around celebrating, I won, I won, I pinned dad. And they'd go in the kitchen or wherever and say, Mom, I pinned dad. I celebrated with them and we laughed and and they thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And so did I. Because it wasn't about winning or losing. It was about just being with them. It was that that bonding experience that comes with wrestling and, and being together like that. That's what I wanted. They didn't know that at the time. All they thought we were doing was just wrestling. But I just wanted to to know that closeness to them and to be with them and to experience that bonding kind of relationship with them. And when you look at this story of Jacob, I think that's exactly what God wants with us. God really isn't concerned about winning. He could win every time if he wanted to. But he chooses not to. But But don't misunderstand me. He's not pretending When God humbles himself, he humbles himself. When Jesus comes to this earth, he's really human. He faces every temptation that we face. When he goes into the wilderness and the evil one tempts him, that's not a facade, that's real. That's really happening. When he's kneeling in the garden in Gethsemane, he is really going through the agony of that moment. He's not pretending, it's real. When Paul says that Jesus, who being in very nature God, humbled himself, he didn't pretend to humble himself. He truly humbled himself. And when God engages us in this kind of activity, he truly humbles himself to let us stay in the match. How in the world can Jacob stay in this match all night long? Because God humbles himself to have relationship with him and with us. And God is willing to limit himself. God is willing to humble himself. 
God is even willing to be vulnerable with us, to have intimacy with us. Because he knows in that intimacy, we are going to understand more and more of who he is, his nature, his character. We're going to understand more and more of what he wants in our lives to bless us in the deepest of ways. And we're going to build a relationship with him. Every healthy relationship involves humility and vulnerability. You cannot have a healthy relationship without vulnerability. It's impossible. Whether you're talking about a marriage, parent, children, siblings, close friends, every healthy relationship involves vulnerability. And one of the reasons our relationships fall apart so often is because we aren't willing to be vulnerable. God is always willing to be vulnerable. There is nothing more vulnerable than a baby born in a manger. There's nothing more vulnerable than a man hanging on a cross. There's nothing more vulnerable than a body laid in a tomb. Our God is... It's the very picture of vulnerability. And that vulnerability is because he yearns for us. In some ways you could say that as a wrestler, you look for the weakness in your opponent. You look for a, that, that place where you can tap into it and you can overcome them. And in a sense, that's what we find. That's what Jacob finds with God. That's what we find with God when we pray. That... That God, God so yearns for us that he's willing to be vulnerable and engage with us. And he yearns for us. You read the scriptures, quite frankly, it's almost embarrassing how, how desperate God is to have a relationship with his people. I mean, over and over and over again, you and I would have grown impatient a long time before God ever begins to be impatient. Over and over again, God's people reject him, turn to idolatry, act as if he means nothing and he's done nothing and he is nothing. Over and over and over and over again. And the church of the centuries has done that. And let's be honest, we've done it. And again and again and again, God keeps saying, I'm still here for you. I yearn for you. I want you. Think about God's description Hosea gives us of God in his prophecy, where God has finally said, I'm, I'm totally fed up with you people. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm done with you. I'm just leave you to the consequences of your behavior. I'm done. I'm out of here. You're on your own. And in the next breath, God says, but how can I ever give you up? How could I ever let my people go? Quite frankly, God looks a little bit desperate in seeking us and yearning for us. But when you read the scriptures, God doesn't care if he looks desperate. He just wants us. And he will go to any length, even a baby and a cross and a tomb, seek us. 
And that's why getting into a wrestling match with God is one of the greatest gifts he has ever given us. In the end, Jacob, I think Jacob spends the rest of his life remembering that event. How could you forget it? But just in case, Jacob has something to remember. Every morning when he gets up out of bed, he feels it right there in that hip. And every time he bends down to pick up one of his grandchildren, he feels it right there in that hip. As he's out herding sheep, he feels it right there in that hip. He knows when it's going to rain because he feels it right there in that hip. And every time he feels it, it's not a negative thing. It's a good thing. And somehow Jacob, Jacob remembers the vulnerability of God. Jacob remembers wrestling with God. He remembers being blessed by God. He remembers he doesn't have to be who he always was. God has bigger plans for him than that. A.J. Swoboda, our clue speaker, says, Christians are a movement of people who believe that God still wrestles with us. The question for us is, do we want to wrestle with him? And find in that wrestling his deepest blessings. It's worth the pain. It's worth the limp. Father, thank you for this gift, this invitation. Forgive us that we so often run and ignore and give us the grace to be willing to wrestle with you in prayer and find more than we could have ever dreamed possible. We ask this through the grace of Christ Jesus. Amen.